As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here yeah, looking in the mirror. I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Ah, Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, Les. Alex, how you doing, man? Richard, more importantly, how are you doing? I, I, I am. I am so fucking mad. Anyway. If it anyway. makes you feel any better, my team also lost on a last-second field goal attempt. It was Maryland Rutgers, so I can't really pretend to be as mad about it as you are. But uh, anyway, so Richard, we, we know a guy. Uh, Florida lost last night, lost on Saturday night in, I would say, the most painful fashion in a rivalry game that any team has lost in since Ole Miss had a player pretend to pee like a dog and result in an unsportsmanlike that led to a missed extra point that led to a lost egg bowl. And I One want to of the coaches on the field that day was on the field last night as well. Ah, how about that? I want to bring in a man who knows a thing or two about attending a school that loses a rivalry game in the absolute stupidest fashion possible. And that's Stephen Godfrey. Stephen, welcome to the program. Everything is Mississippi. I'm, I get prouder and prouder every week when you guys find a way to bend it back to that. I used to get <laughs> mad about it. I'm actually proud now. Everything is Mississippi. Everything's supposed to be. Uh, so we're getting down to crunch time. Obviously, the regular season has ended. The rundown, you have to play your way in by being good, bad, or just interesting. Ooh. We're going to order this show in a couple of ways. We're going to do good, interesting. We're going to do bad, interesting. We're going to start with good, interesting, though good sometimes interacts, Richard, very closely with bad. Uh, Richard, do you want to put 30 minutes on the clock, give or take? We got stoppage time. Not really. Three, two, one. Clock starts, LSU 37, Florida 34. Mm. Oh, my God. Tough one. Oh, my God. So Florida had a lot of chances to not be in a close game with LSU in the final two minutes. Boy, don't I know it. And it is not really fair to boil it all all down to this, Uh, but life ain't fair. So let's let's go and do it. Florida gets a stop in a tie game with about two minutes left. They're going to get the ball back. They are, at that point, odds on to win. They never know. Uh, Marco Wilson, Florida defensive back, picks up an LSU dude's cleat, airmails it down the field. Uh, I'm not sure where in the in the rule book it says that you can't do that, but I think it was generally agreed that you can't do that. So uh, 15 yards, LSU stays on the field. Uh, they have a situation where they are basically running a fire drill for a long field goal to get it off before the clock runs out because they are out of timeouts. Dan Mullen generously calls a timeout 
ostensibly in the hope that a missed LSU field goal would leave Florida some time to go back the other way. I would not have done that because I think it was uh, a difficult kicking environment for Florida. I'm not sure how, how much upside there was, even if LSU missed uh, in Florida coming back and kicking a field goal the other way. This, this when, led to that, by the way, like LSU, like kept the ball yes. and ran some plays. And LSU kept the ball, ran some plays. We're trying to get it in the middle of the field. Florida's defense was standing up at this point, by the way, because this was not an easy field goal that Cade York hit. It's a 57-yard field goal. It's no. around midfield, 40-yard line-ish. Florida's defense is standing up fairly well after the penalty. And he's going to miss. I mean, you never know. But I think the chances of him making that 50-something-yard field goal in the fire drill when you have to rush your field goal unit onto the field are See, a lot lower I, than after you get to line it up after the timeout. I would. I actually, I actually – pretty profoundly disagree there i actually like the timeout primarily because remember it wasn't four seconds left there's 30 seconds on the clock when when lsu is coming onto the field he had a perfect amount of time to line it up they were just standing there about to set it up to kick i'm pretty sure lsu was going to run it down as much as they could in that situation but be that as it may it's a fair disagreement i could be wrong on this uh and and hindsight is certainly 2020 on this. Uh, But what happens after this, obviously LSU makes the kick a tremendous effort by Cade York out of the timeout. Uh, Florida has a little bit of time with the ball back. They get it into position for a 57 or so yard field goal. And hmm. two seconds left. There's the snap, the set down, the kick is up on the way. It is going Apparently it was short, and LSU has stunned the Gators and snapped Florida's 12-game winning streak in the swamp. That is the legend, Mick Hubert, of the Gator IMG Sports Network. (sighs) Look, Marco Wilson made a bad choice, made a dumb choice, in the heat of the moment. After a key third down stop that Florida probably should have got, Florida got the ball back, would have gotten the ball back. It should not have come down to that. Football games come down to decisions like this because of obviously a cacophony of things, Godfrey. I'm not going to act like I watched this game. I've been on the phone for coaching searches basically nonstop since Thursday. However, this game was on in the background, and it was the strangest game to have on in the background while I was talking to football people about football things. Um, I tell you what, Richard, you tell me. You've you've heard my Dan Mullen spiel before about like always being very good, never being echelon good enough. Would you like to walk through one of two doors right here? (laughs) Door number one is anxiety about the future of his in-game coaching management ability, et cetera, et cetera, to not achieve the perfect standard that Florida requires. Or would you just like to, this one time only, rip the 2020 cord and just dismiss this game outright? Hmm. I think I want to go door number two because I don't think I agree with door number one. Okay, I don't know if door number one even applies, and I. But here's the problem: I don't know how much of 2020 you can necessarily apply to this as well, right. because this was the best we've seen LSU all year, and really should not plausibly have seen an LSU of this competence. Twenty-three point underdog, and they were down. I they mean, were in was... the fifties on scholarship players, 
And their corner, they yeah. were down to their fourth, fifth, and sixth cornerbacks, which is especially striking because Florida, we have talked about expected points added per play as a stat that we really like on the show numerous times. Florida added nil, nothing, zero. Their EPA was zero. It was actually negative point zero zero one or something like that on pass plays. Kyle Trask, the leading Heisman candidate or number two Heisman candidate entering this game and a great group of receivers, granted Kyle Pitts was not present in this game. Kyle, Kyle Pitts did, did not nothing. play in this game. Apparently, Kyle Pitts didn't practice this week from what Dan said after the game, um, but warmed up. And Todd McShay on the broadcast was like, yeah, he looked fine in warmups. This, uh, this, this may actually be LSU's version of the Troy game in reverse. This may be one of his best wins in a non-Joe Burrow situation. Or how about let's just say a non-2019 I mean, situation. It, it, because it has to be. It's a good win. The conversation, win. yeah, i got to be careful how I say these things. but like, So the conversation around LSU this week was let's downshift and get the hell out of this situation being the 2020 season and figure out what they're going to do about the coaching staff because you know major changes are coming. I mean, they were openly talking about this on game day yesterday. So... Uh, to do this is just it, it really is staggering. I'm more interested in the X and O's of how and 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 was there Richard was there some sort of predictability or ineptitude specifically with like I mean Florida's offense? I I just don't understand how it got like this. Well, Richard, I'm curious. Florida did one thing that was the opposite of what they talk about doing. You talked with Seth Galina last week about how Florida tries to win the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, and they game plan around that in terms of game management decisions and how Dan Mullen and friends call that middle eight portion of the game, and they got wiped out in that portion of the game. I mean, they barely had the ball, to be honest with you. Um, Remember, LSU won the toss and deferred. Remember, we talked about a key to winning the middle eight is having the ball. Florida didn't have the ball coming out of the third quarter. LSU kept the ball, ended up, I think it was like a six-minute drive. They kicked a field goal on it. So they won the back half of the middle eight. Uh, Florida actually scored kind of coming into the middle eight. Um, But so Florida, Florida scores at the beginning of the middle eight. LSU scores on a corner blitz that, fellas, I will, I will probably be thinking about this for the next 12 months until they play this game. Nine months, whatever. Oh, my God. So both corners end up coming on a blitz, and Florida has to rotate behind it. Um, I'm not going to – I'm actually not going to directly blame Todd Grantham for this because I honestly don't know who's at fault here. Uh, I was talking to a defensive coach in the DMs this morning about how corner blitzes trigger. And the way this formation LSU had, it's what is called formation to the boundary. LSU has two receivers into the boundary and one receiver uh, to the field, to the wide side of the field. Florida ends up bringing both corners, both the field corner and the boundary corner. And what happens is it leaves uh, an inside freshman corner inside of the blitzing corner. That corner had to have the responsibility to carry that outside receiver up the field. And it was a weird alignment thing that you're like, I'm not even sure if that outside corner, Kair Elam, should have actually come. And a coach was sort of coming with me in the, in the DMs. He was like, I think that outside corner may have triggered when he shouldn't have. He should have noticed that the passing strength of the formation was to him because you wouldn't blitz a corner from the passing strength of a formation. But maybe the blitz was just called for both of them to come. It was a mess. And it, I, I tweeted this play, if anybody wants to see it on, on Sunday morning. Uh, around like 10 in the morning. 
if somebody's going back to my tweets after hearing this this uh, this podcast, that play was a mess. Then Florida gets the ball back and Trask fumbles. LSU gets the fumble, snatches three points when they probably shouldn't have, and Florida was the one who probably should have had three or seven points out of that situation. Then, L- then obviously halftime, LSU wins, wins the toss, gets the ball back, and as we say, goes seventeen yards. 17 plays, it, it 63 was, yards, seven, six and a half minutes. Why? I mean, only three points, so the damage could have been worse, but like, wow. And uh, Florida's, Florida's defense, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Florida's defense played well. But Florida's defense, I think, did enough here, did enough here to, to get Florida, did, did their jobs enough. Florida gift-wrapped LSU 13 points, man. The pick six... Now, now, the pick six that Caltrass threw, actually emblematic of something that LSU's defense did really well last night, which was because of the structure of their defense, they were actually able to, to contain Florida's wheel routes. Um, and, and they really did it for the most part all day pretty well, besides I think Tony had one um, in the first half. LSU played the pretty well. On the, on the pick six, Trask looks the wheel route on the left. It's not there. Comes back to it on the right. There's a defender standing there, and Caltrass doesn't expect them to be there. He throws it to him, pick six. Um, the, the intercept, the, the fluky interception that tips like three times Trask is rolling to his right. Tony is falling out of the end zone. Trask, in my opinion, actually puts that ball behind Tony when he should have put it in front of Tony, where Tony should just fall out of, out of bounds to catch it. Or it's an incompletion. Honestly, if Tony doesn't stick his arm out to tip that, the DB who is coming behind Tony might have just picked it on a toe drag pick. Weird play, man. Weird game. Florida's offense short circuits. Three three and outs in the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. Three straight three and outs. Part of that is because Florida does not have a conventional run game. They do not have a quarterback who can plus one in the run game. So you're in a situation where you can't really run effectively and you have to throw when you're in a goddamn cumulonimbus cloud which is what it was last night. Mm, you, good work. When you look at it, you like I don't even blame Florida's offense necessarily, the passing offense, for short-circuiting in that situation because, honestly, you can't see. You literally cannot see. I mean, I, there are a couple balls that, that Trask threw that I tried to go back and watch it this morning, and I'm like, I don't know where the ball is. Yeah, it was an exceptionally weird game. Uh, Godfrey, I want to move on to other, other business, but I do want to ask you before we do. For LSU, mm-hmm. please tell me that this does not prompt them to like reconsider wholesale changes. Like Ed's not going to look at this and be like, "Actually, my defensive coordinator no. is great." Right? Like he's not doing that, right? No, no, no. Okay, no, no, good. No. Way, way, way too much strife. Way too much strife. I do think it it actually enters Grantham back into consideration, and, and I do think personally that if Florida made a change at DC, I think they would that that gets them closer to being where they want to be. But no, LSU changes are definitely still coming. Dan. Mullen has got to learn how to triage losses. And that is the other thing. You got the lemon booty. Because, buddy, this stuff, it's already getting old. And it's going to keep getting old, particularly after tough losses. Mm-hmm. Um, Y'all, he, this, he, this is who he is, though. I, he I know. always had sore ass at Mississippi in, State. It's just that no one paid attention. In this case, if you missed it, Dan Mullen said 
that the key in college football this year, paraphrasing here, is just to not play many games because you get rewarded for not playing many games, ignoring that Florida lost one of its first five games as well. Um, so so if that was a dig at Ohio State. Previously, he lost to Texas A&M and then uh, advocated for Florida to please let him put an absolute full sellout crowd in the quote-unquote packed swamp, which pandemic dan pandemic it's it's it it it's you can't say that after you lose uh, to a team who you were favored by by 23 points who was on its third string quarterback who had two three maybe four dbs out who's down both wide receiver ones with the opt-out and with both opt-outs down a nose guard down a go- like usc 43 ucla 38 <laughs> oh richard is God. it back is la college football back i don't know I don't know. It might be. Um, this was another weird game. The the weirdest thing about it was I like obviously I had the Florida game on the full sound, but when the Florida game ends and you go back to the USC game, turn the sound up. At one point in time, one of the broadcasters was like, "Yeah, USC will play in the Pac-12 title game next week," and I looked up and I was like, "Wait, USC's doing what?" Well, they haven't lost any games, uh, and Clay Hilton's going to have this job into like 2028, right, Godfrey? Because of the dominant, because of the continued dominant showings week in, week out. USC, just bulldozing yeah, I teams, mean, looking ever, great like classic USC. <laughs> Sometimes I say stuff so frequently that, like, the sound of my own voice, I don't know if I'm being serious or not anymore. But, like, this was the situation that everyone joked about. I've, I, how many times have we done this segment on so the show? So many. You're right. I said this, I'll say, it, I'll say it one more time. Throughout the offseason, when I do coaching like audits and I do like the Athlon gossip thing and all that other stuff, like the coaches are like the best thing that for every other team in college football, especially in the Pac 12, is that if Clay Helton stays at USC forever. And what I'm trying to convey is that just because they've won these games, it doesn't mean they're going to be like Pete Carroll. I mean, hell, I don't even know if they might, they're going to end up like Steve Sark levels <sighs> of USC. Maybe. This is going to be one of the strangest data or, or m- most misused data points of this 2020 season, and he's going to coast. And uh, honestly, Arizona State should be happier about this result than beating the piss out of Arizona in the Territorial Cup because this is only going to continue to leave the wiry screen door open in the back of Los Angeles recruiting. And I just... I don't know, man. Like it's so funny to me that they keep winning when the, when what they need to do is is change, and they're not going to. Like he's he's good, baby. He he's Gucci. Agreed. Uh, we will talk about the Arizonas later. A couple odds and ends on this one. UCLA point almost point four EPA per pass and almost negative point four per run. I watched a little bit of this, and I watched you know a, a pretty extended condensed game later. Not really sure what's going on with that offense. They're not bad. They're also not awesome. Uh, I am laughing at USC giving up multiple freebie touchdowns on screens and swing passes uh, and just like not being lined up right and then winning anyway because when you have Graham Harrell and Keaton Slovis and Amon Ross St. Brown, you're going to score points. Uh, Coastal Carolina 42, Troy 38. This was a great game. This looked for a while like it would be the game of the day. Coastal up 12 with five minutes left. Gave up a quick 75-yard touchdown drive. Turned the ball over on a pick. And then before they knew it, they are down three with just over a minute left uh, and needing to go the full field for the win. Or <laughs> the a little short of the and they like, do it. They do it. The broadcasters were like, Yosel Carolina doesn't score quickly. <laughs> no. They, they, this is the thing. They don't. They are not designed to be forced into a pass situation. The, another thing that we talked about with Seth, uh, is that this offense is geared to be on schedule. And when you 
can credibly run or pass. You can mess with the other team's safety alignment and really crush them. Well, uh, it took them 45 seconds to go five plays and 75 yards, almost all of them between Grayson McCall and Javon Hiley, who is not going to win the Bolitnikoff or anything because Devontae Smith is going to do that, but who is one of the great group of five receivers over the last several years. I mean, he's having an awesome season. We've talked about him a lot here. So, uh, But on the other side of this, Godfrey, you had mentioned to keep an eye on Troy. I, I also independently heard without a lot of specifics that things are just not sounding very good there right now. Yeah. So um, this is podcasting is uh, kind of a medium where we put something out and then things change. But I guess people should be watching Troy, should they not? This is a, yeah, it's a dated medium. Our joke is that it's a visual medium. And unfortunately, we don't podcast live. So it is 1026 in my time zone on Sunday morning. It's 1130. And as of right now, uh, right now, I don't believe there's been movement. I expect there to be movement on this job in this situation. So um, at the Sun Belt, man, the Sun Belt just keeps doing things in the coaching world. And that's like, people are like, oh, well, why? Yada, yada, yada. Because Troy, like a state, like, like, Troy is in a place, the Sun Belt writ large right now is in a place where it's not, like, it's not the, like, look down, condescend, poo-poo on the Sun Belt. Like, these teams can crew a little bit. These teams can play a little bit. These places now, I think, expect and want results. And I think Louisiana and Troy, or excuse me, Louisiana Coastal are sort of showing that if you get it right, you can have results in this league. And I think Troy wants that. I think A-State wants to continue their success, that sort of stuff. Godfrey? Uh, A-State and USA jobs were flooded, were flooded with people trying to get in there, just to give you any uh, indication. By the way, A-State's facilities are, like, really... And by Butch the way, Jones. 10 um, seconds, 10 seconds Troy, on Butch. I don't, I don't hate that Butch got that job, like, the fact that Butch got that job. Uh, no, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, it, it sort of works there. Uh, we can talk about yeah. the merits of the search and how quickly they did it. That's another story for another day. Um, but, Godfrey, I don't hate the fact that Butch got that job. No, we can. I mean, we can talk about it more in depth, but um, he had his sights on it immediately. But because Blake Anderson's name had come up during the Southern Miss uh, search, and so the indication of the coaching community. I mean, I can say this: the, people knew that Blake Anderson and A State were looking to move on from one one another in a very amicable way, which is obviously what happened because he went to Utah State. Which people are debating, sort of like, is that lateral? Is that upward? Y'all, they're extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. here. The man just needed to move on. We'll leave it at that. Um, and then a bunch of people sort of smelled that way before the opening occurred and were communicating. And because in Butch's case, it's not like he he wouldn't have to hide his interest the way maybe another coach would in that job. So he was very aggressive in his pursuit of that position. I'll leave it at that. Um, USA, they just did the opposite of Southern Miss. They saw the identifiable candidate right up front and they just went. And that's Kane Womack, um, Indiana's young defensive yeah. coordinator. Um, as far as Troy goes, it's uh, the concern at Troy is not all football. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, Army 15, Navy nothing. Uh, yo, Army just threw these guys into a paper shredder. Holy hell. Rough. Uh, well, I've got the replay this was, on This was like some right 1890 Rough. Army-Navy stuff, except Navy won that game in the shutout. But, like, this is some old-time, <sighs> old, uncut Army-Navy. Uh, it was rough. And the, we respect we respect Service Academy football enough not to yeah. lie about it and claim that it was <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, people do this in our field all the time. It's like, Army, Navy, wow, these young men laying it all on the line, so beautiful. No, these are two very good programs. This game sucked. Come on. Like, like we don't have to lie about yeah, this. It yeah. sucked. It, w- it was foggy. You couldn't see. There was no excitement whatsoever. 
It sucked, but that's fine. It's a great rivalry. So one of uh, one of the th- one of the things about the fog that's really interesting is because it is literally on the banks of the Hudson, and there's also a reservoir that's a that's sort of like a, I don't know next to it. The weather pattern specifically in New York was causing excess fog just literally off the river. So I was told it wasn't even that bad in the area. It's just that where that stadium is positioned, they've never had a football game. Well, they haven't had a football game there this late in the year in so long that it was like. So the coaches came down from the booth. I can't remember the last time that's happened yeah, in college that, football. I think where they like, said that too. Yeah, there were a couple pass plays in the second quarter specifically where the where the coaches and I talked to some people after the game about this. Like they could not actually identify what was going on. And uh, on the defensive side, that's even more treacherous because you're you're just terrified of what like you can't identify what they're doing. You can't tell your guys what to do. Um, I watched most of this game. I actually attended a college football game yesterday, and I will get to that in a second. Um, the winning team in a triple option on triple option game, the winning team had 134 <laughs> yards rushing. Y'all. 162 total. Beautiful. The winning team. The winning team. I believe there was a 34% was, stuff rate for Navy's D against Army. I mean, it just... It, and they lost. Mike, probably... Sorry, flips. flips it's my... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it is it is like one of my favorite things in sports, and I'm not a military guy, and it's always been weird for me to have like kind of get gotten sucked into this world. But this game was like a this this was like attrition defined. It was it was really hard to watch. If it wasn't these two teams and all the stuff and all the circumstance and all the pomp and da da da, like it would have been unwatchable. Absolutely, it would have been absolutely. Bad. Uh, and I watched Georgia Godfrey, Southern. The game that you were at, final score, Tennessee, who cares? Vanderbilt, who cares? Uh, there was history in this game. Not <laughs> there only, was a point. Not there only. was a point in this game, probably like a quarter and a half in, when I thought we were about to care about the final score. And then Yes, Tennessee. there was as well. I texted well, I there, both of you. I was there and <laughs> I was there and literally didn't look at after this particular uh, history making thing, I did not really look at anything after that. And I was there. And to be clear, I was talking to individuals. The history making thing is not that Vanderbilt scored two touchdowns, though that also that is, is its own history. That is its own history. It is that Sarah Fuller becomes the first woman to score points in a Power 5 game. Uh, I believe two for two on PATs. Uh, tremendous yep. stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I tweeted this out. Um, I don't know how much of the TV feed caught it. I was there for other um, for reportery reasons, and also I live next to Vanderbilt. Um, we can maybe talk on a later show about how absolutely insane, bizarre it was to go to a game in COVID. Like, I cannot... We should definitely dedicate some time to that. It was as if I was walking into a dream. Um, it's just a very strange concept of literally no one being there. Y'all, maybe, I would say less than 1,200 people were in the entire like block vicinity of the entire stadium, including the players and the bus drivers. It was so Yeah, the like, no traffic and all that sort of stuff is like... Y'all, it, dude, it was so weird. I literally, oh, Let me put it this way. It's the only thing I'll say because I know we're on time. I pulled my truck up and just parked on the curb and got out and walked into the stadium by the end zone. Like, it was just insane. And a cop saw me do it, and he was like, hey, what's going on? There's just no one there, and there was a football Godfrey, game. was it? What was, uh, the, scene? Sarah, what was I, the scene like uh, no, when when this history happened, when she scored uh, so, on the first So, uh, yeah, PC? this is what I was going to say. I don't know if, what the TV feed caught, but she, like, so she does the first PAT, and most of the sideline for Vanderbilt is bunched down by the 30, and it, they just, they, like, lose it. They That's go nuts. Awesome. It was. I don't know how much of it got picked they, up. They caught she it when she in. came off, and they sort of all sort of like mobbed her, like well, awesome. Yeah. But I didn't. Obviously, they didn't show that part. Yeah. Um. And so it was as genuine and unforced as like I've been around enough sidelines to know this wasn't rehearsed. This wasn't mandated. Whatever fucking narrative you've got going, this was just a moment that a player had, y'all. Yeah. It was that simple. Tennessee players took pictures with her after the game and said. 
Cool moment. Yep. Cool moment. It's awesome. Uh, By the way, uh, Tennessee is an ass team, and I know they won that game, but they are poorly coached and look like shit. Georgia's 49, Mizzou 14. Georgia's offense, look, all I'll say, September 4th, 2021, Charlotte, North Carolina. Clemson, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's passing game has arrived. They've they have their guy. I've, I've been retweeting you guys on this, and like people are like, it, it is it is already a pitchfork cool to to shit on Georgia twenty twenty one. So just was get it, ready for that off season uh, narrative, like anti narrative. Georgia was at half a point EPA per pass, which is excellent. Uh, J T Daniels seems to be seems to with be the those guy. Those receivers with those group of pass yeah. catchers. Uh, another they have team. Something here. They have something here. Another team that has figured some things out on offense, so they figured them out long ago. Uh, North Carolina puts 778. That's a 7 followed by a 7 followed by an 8 yards of offense on Miami, 62-26. I guess, Godfrey, this is sort of the—we got to run quick because we we got ourselves behind, but this is sort of the vision for UNC, right? Like a defense that doesn't get tired while the offense is doing all that? When they paired Phil Longo and Jay Bateman together, this was the ideal, was that you would actually have a two to three score lead in most of the larger stretches of the second and third quarter. The idea being that their defense could be risky, they could do a lot of creative things, and they would the, the risk-reward would be different. Obviously, that doesn't work out all the time, but this was a clinic on how Mac Brown had the, had the vision for it. I'm We can get into this later. I'm very curious about Miami post- Derek King and Rhett Lashley, assuming Rhett Lashley goes somewhere, which I do. Like, I don't know what we just saw from Miami in 2020, but I think it may be sort of a finite loop. Like, we may go back to a bad Miami. What was Miami's defense even doing? Like, were they, they... nothing? Not not a damn thing. I mean, it, it's it's not as bad as that one time Clemson had got them four or five years ago, but it was rough. Um, Utah 38, Colorado 21 in the snow again. Uh-huh. Utah has played some weird ass football games this year, Alex. Some weird ones. Like this was kind of the inverse of them blowing a twenty-one nothing lead at half to Washington and losing by three. Not quite the inverse because it wasn't that bad. I think they were down twenty-one ten at one yeah. point. But these guys looked bad. Like Jake Bentley is missing just wide open dudes and getting picked off on what should be chunk completions. They're missing blocks, which is not really a Utah Utes feature most of the time. And then they just turn it on, and it was a blowout. Uh, I'm chalking up Utah to a weird year, Godfrey. Um, so Utah and Colorado are the are, are two teams that I've heard, and this isn't a Pac-12 thing, it's just a college football thing, where coaches are talking about one team that really, really has suffered from the inconsistency of COVID, and then one team that has really benefited from the weirdness of COVID. So what I'm saying is now that you have a 2-2 two and two Utah, they are a better team than the, what, 4-1 and one Colorado mm-hmm. team. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to a fun, nice little thing, but I just want... I want you to be to have perspective when you're looking at Colorado, Utah. Like, and Gus Johnson was breaking it down on the broadcast too. Like, you know, they hadn't played any games. They go in to play USC. Like, every one of their loss, their, their losses all made sense. The hiccups in the schedule make sense. I think they look like this because of COVID. And I don't want to say that about a lot of teams, but I think it applies here. Sure, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Memphis 30, Houston 27. Houston had a great comeback and then lost. That's it. They came back from 21 down and they lost on, uh, at the last second. Uh, I just want to, for both of you, what do we make of Dana Holgerson and Houston at this point? Uh, Richard, you first. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't want to fall back on the 2020 yet, but like they got beat by the good teams on their schedule and they beat the teams that they are better than. I think they're an average college football team, roughly thereabouts, Godfrey. 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to lean. It's a safety position to adopt. I don't think Richard's wrong or anything. But, yeah, I do feel like it's – can we expect them to have applied these grandiose plans they had about the roster management and the sitting the guys and the transferring the guys when they've had the season they've had? Because, again, much like Utah, they've been on the brunt of a lot of cancellations, postponements, all that kind of stuff. So – um, we need to, guys, we need to figure this out in the offseason how we're going to designate some of these teams because I don't <laughs> think, like, some of these guys need narrative exemptions and some of, uh, some of these entire programs basically just need a pause in, in your uh-huh. overall sort of like two and three and four year evaluation arcs. And I think, like, Utah's one, Houston's one. We can go on and on. There's a bunch in Conference USA. One um, thing that I'm curious about, though, I, Godfrey, I want to ask you this because you, you know, the, you know yeah. the powerful players at Houston very well, including the most powerful player at Houston, the money, very, very well. He's having, so, a, he's having exactly. a year. He's having a year. I don't think his life is great i've heard that uh he's got you know maybe just a teensy bit of debt uh is he i mean this would be two basically washout years in a row for houston where you're just like all right fine your third year is actually year one is he the kind of guy tillman fortita who is who is chill with that even if there are reasonable excuses for what happened last year and this year i'm gonna all right i'm gonna be really honest and i haven't said this on any form of media before i think i think college football and tillman fertita are now a little bit further apart than when i was covering every second of the tom herman saga and the realignment saga and when they were on the doorstep of the big 12 he has bigger fish to fry right now exactly y'all in all seriousness (laughs) the man now has a basketball team that is constantly you know, part of some drama or creating some sort of problem or whatever, usually by his own hand. Um, I think the assumption is one, they are not looking to spend any money right now. Two, Dana was very matter of fact with them and has kind of said this in circles in Houston that this is not something where he walks in and has a 10 win season. But as much as anyone is committed to a long term vision, it is Houston with Dana. I'll be honest with you. So I think like uh, some jobs are going to open. I'm going to be really vague that are in the Power Five, and I don't think he, I don't think Dana would go even if Houston had ten wins. I think Dana's invested in Houston. I think I think we may apply an exemption to them. I'm not ready to say that this thing is flawed by any stretch. Okay, Stoppage time. Virginia Tech 33, Virginia 15. Ugh. I did not catch a second of this game. Same, <laughs> same. But yeah, Godfrey. So what's? I want to ask you the same thing. Uh, Does this change anything uh, for them for Tech like LSU? same question you know like in in a video game where you're down to like almost no health and then you unleash like a critical attack to basically save yourself that that is my <laughs> my dork characteristic of a characterization of the virginia tech offense because that's what it was it was like it they they were pressing and they were urgent and they were they were nervous and it actually paid off which is usually those are usually things that that cause you to lose games um, they were desperate, and it showed. And I, we will find out probably by the time people hear this whether or not it's going to save him. Everything I've heard this week was was an Arizona level situation. We don't have the money. We are exhausted and frustrated. If they had lost the Commonwealth, he would have been fired after the game. Well, Ball State thirty because it is it's just unacceptable for them to lose that game. Ball State thirty, Western Michigan twenty seven. This was almost legitimately one of the nuttiest endings in the history of the sport. Yes, this was nearly Cal Stanford band on the field level. Uh, so Ball State is up by three, but Western Michigan has the ball. They go off on their hot potato lateral play that every college football team tries when they are in the this lo- position. Maybe the longest I have ever seen. It was a long one. Before for, yeah. the penalty, before the forward pass or the what have you. It was a the long one. The ability to string together that many laterals, impressive. And Richard just spoiled it. Uh, they get down to the end. The, basically, Ball State's out on the field celebrating, and they think the game's over. Western Michigan's like, no, this game's not over. We're still running with the ball. 
refs don't blow it dead either. They run this thing down for a game-winning touchdown, and it comes back because someone lateraled it forward. God the, like, damn it. All of Ball God damn it. Team. Western Michigan. What? Watching all of Ball State's team realize that the game isn't over and like sprinting back to the <laughs> sideline. And there are guys who are like, there are guys who have made it all the way clear across the field and are clearly like, I could tack, like you can watch the gears turning where it's like, wow, I could tackle this guy, but I don't think I'm supposed to tackle this guy. Anyway, right. San Jose State 30, Nevada 20. Um, as Alex stated in the rundown, 6 0 Mountain West Conference Championship participant, San Jose State. Great for them. I didn't watch. I was honestly going to sleep by this time to get ready for this podcast. But uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to spend some time just on on. We've talked about some of the underlying factors behind that program. We gotta learn more about them. They. I mean, I don't want to profess to be a Spartan expert, but they're clearly pretty good. And Brent Brennan's uh, done a good better, job. There. You might want to strike while the iron is hot about mm-hmm. learning about that uh, mm-hmm. that coach and that team. Mm-hmm. Those two. Those two teams. I would put maybe one and one A for the Arizona job. Those two coaches. Okay. Very good to know. We'll keep that in mind. Uh, I mean. Quick top twenty fivers. We didn't get to Bama crushed Arkansas. Felipe Franks was under pressure basically every snap, whereas Bama quarterbacks dropped back 33 times. And Richard, how many times do you think Bama quarterbacks were pressured on 33 dropbacks? <laughs> you are correct. Wanna, they were not. Yeah. Zero. Uh, <laughs> not applicable. Yeah, uh, Iowa 28, Wisconsin 7, Northwestern 28, Illinois 10, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Baylor played with like nobody and got crushed by Oklahoma State. And BYU won by one less than the spread or by a couple less than the spread against San Diego State. Did get an under, though, because San Jose State or San Diego State, excuse me, quarterback uh, tripped going to the end. Oh, very exciting. Quick break for some podcast business. Richard, I would tell you to stop the clock, but we're already in stoppage time. <laughs> so so we're just going a little longer this week. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, home Field Apparel is your home for premium vintage collegiate apparel. Homefield has a quickly growing catalog of schools uh, that they work with very hard to dig up and develop designs, logos that are separate from anything you could possibly find anywhere else on the market, uh, particularly at any of the cheaper, much less comfortable brands that are are populating the uh, college sports shirt space. Uh, they put these designs, Homefield does, on the most comfortable shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks that I have in my dresser. Uh, and in some cases in my closet because I hang my crewnecks. I don't know. Do you guys fold your crewnecks or do you hang them? Depends. Fold. Okay. I usually hang my crewnecks and I was wearing one yesterday during the Maryland game. Or a, a, a lovely retro Maryland Terrapin crewneck that I have from home field. Uh, but I think this is something that we can, you know, we can differ on reasonably. Uh, we have a promo code SZD for 20% off your first order. Uh, and we would love if you join the home field train. It's a wonderful business to support, and they have been great friends to us in our podcast. Okay, we're we're really long today. We have a couple things that we want to talk about that are bad, interesting in this back half of the show. Let's get to the most important one first, and then we can maybe move quickly through some other ones. We didn't rehearse this because when Florida loses a game, I don't talk to Richard for twelve hours. And the Florida game <laughs> and the Florida game ended at twelve or at eleven PM Eastern last night. We recorded at eleven AM Eastern. So we didn't we didn't rehearse the show. We didn't talk about it beforehand because I'm giving Richard a space. But um Kevin Someone that's a good friend. Kevin Someone is out of his job because he lost seventy to seven in the I territorial say, cup. <laughs> Kevin Someone was probably out of his job regardless. Frankly, I I that's a therapy word I know. Um but Seventy to seven is a is you know I mean 
not a lot you can say about about that if it's 70 to 7 except you can say that he is our buyout king because he got 10 million from A&M no offset 7 million from uh, Arizona now no required offset that man he that's boat shopping season Kevin that is generational wealth given to the black community <laughs> good for you uh, um, Godfrey, yeah, yeah what are they, what do they what uh, do they do now tell us about it uh, they didn't want to fire him, but it's just grown and grown and grown and grown to where they had to fire him. And then honestly, there's no such thing as 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 flipping a script on a 63 point loss to your <laughs> in state rival. To, I mean, it's just the, no, you can't come back it's from a that. Ma- yeah. That game's a mandate. Uh, they didn't want to spend the money; they wanted to get rid of him. Um, they are cash strapped. Um, they furloughed a lot of staffers, and they are not going to be able to spend their way into relevancy. So, what they're going to have to do is go out and find someone who matches that juice at uh, it, with Sun Devils. My first pick, if I'm Arizona, is Jay Norvell at Nevada. I think that's where you go. We will, I think that's who you hire. We will talk ad nauseum about this later this week. I'm actually really excited to, to get through the, uh, the Arizona job. Yes. Oh, quick one. So we're going to push something to the middle of the week, but did everyone see Pitt Georgia Tech on – uh, Thursday. Yeah. Night. Okay. What's the deal there with the handshake? Thing? I, I don't Amazing. know. Amazing. So know. Jeff Collins achieves the impossible, which is in a post-game handshake with Pat Narduzzi. Jeff Collins is the more childish, less sportsmanlike, more emotional guy. Um, I don't know. He like Narduzzi went to shake his hand, and Collins hit him with that that quick one where you run away. Uh, yeah, where you don't look. When yeah. you just present the hand and like keep going to, to at an angle. Yeah. Anyway, I think Georgia Tech finishes like three and seven or three and six. I think three and seven. Uh, wow, it's gonna take a while. They're not really going very quickly about this. They why? But that's not how it works. That's not how it works to rinse the option, Godfrey. This is going to be interesting. This this next off season is actually the one where I'm 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 really interested in in talking to those guys and and taking the temperature and like all of the media PR sheen is off. All of the juice and the this and the that and now it's like you're it's prove it time, baby. And I agree with Richard that that in terms of personnel, it takes this long. But are the expectations there? Like, are they still aligned with everybody? Because from the outside, people just don't give a shit. And, and they're just kind of looking at it with folded arms. I, so I don't think... Really interested in their offense. I don't think they have to be good or great next year necessarily. They do have to beat somebody next year. Got to yep. beat somebody. Uh, Auburn 24, Mississippi State 10. Um, everything is we, Mississippi. So we end there. Everything is Mississippi. Interesting result for, for Mississippi State's offense because... A, they did not score exactly 24 points, which is what they've been doing for the previous month. But Auburn, like, blitzed sometimes, which teams had not been, you know, teams have kind of gone through stretches where they don't blitz Mississippi State at all. Auburn did blitz, and they stopped them. And then they didn't blitz, and they stopped them too. They were at five yards per attempt when not blitzed, and less than that when blitzed. So it turns out that you can stop 2020 Mississippi State's offense no matter what you do. Uh, Godfrey, so obviously it was bad, but, like, where, mm-hmm. where, how, how bad would you say that? Like, give us, give us a, an overall feeling thermometer on this program, Mississippi State in 2020, and then I'm going to ask oh, you about Mississippi State uh, for Gus. Oh, um, well, Mississippi State is, yeah, they're they're soldiering through right now, and and I mean, like the the hardcores are all still completely bought into Mike Leach. It's the players' fault. It was a bad player culture. They're still throwing Joe Moorhead under the bus, like. Uh, Kylan Hill was selfish. Like, stop me if you've heard this before. Like, the buy-in <laughs> on Leach won't change 
that fast, flat out. Even if there was a controversy, you know, similar to the ones that we've seen Leach provide before, they're going to lead. They're like the, the decision makers and money people and, and rank and file fans at Mississippi State are going to be behind Leach. I would say for at least another year. Now he gets his ass waxed again in the Egg Bowl, which you know he lost the game, but they're already calling it a victory because of the amount of um, scholarship players they had. <laughs> Lose that game again, and the clock starts. I think that's the metric. Fair enough. And on the other side, uh, Gus Malzahn is six and four this year. His buyout remains large, but gets smaller, I believe, mm-hmm. soon. Uh, no, it's not soon. It's next year. Okay, so it's ne- that's this is the thing about Auburn. I do not think Auburn was actually going to uh, move on from Gus Malzahn absent absent a loss like two straight losses coming home because of that buyout situation. December 1st, 2021, yep. that buyout drops significantly. I think it's like by $8 million. Uh, and I think Auburn people wanted to avoid that circumstance as much as possible. Gus let them do that by winning these last two games. Not, excuse me. It's been Sorry, split. not winning, it, it, it's, it's been, it, it's gone from 80-20 pro Gus to 20-80. Like it, it's, it's been literally kind of going back and forth like a, I don't know, like a hand of a clock or something throughout the the, the stretch here. Um, I think people should know this. It is never acceptable to Auburn people to lose an Iron Bowl big, even when people like us are like, oh, objectively, you know, Alabama is so much of a better team. That that still like accelerates the situation and the and the scrutiny. Uh, to Richard's point, he had to win this game. It didn't matter how he did. I think they are going to take a breath and try and get out of this cycle without firing him. But 21 just becomes a boiler. Everybody knows and it. Everybody knows honestly, it. Honestly, I think his first loss fires him. I, I mean, I really first? do. I, I, like, I, wow. If it's if it's before, like, I don't have their – I don't even think they've done the schedule, like the week-by-week week schedule next year without um, – I mean, we can do it real time. I, I think if they, sub, if they take an early loss – that isn't justifiable, like, or if they lose to like a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss or something like that, it could kill it because there's just who Auburn plays September 18th, 2021. The Pennsylvania State University Nittany Lions, really? Beaver That's... Stadium, wow, week two. I am looking at the schedule cool. wow. right now. Wow, there you go. Yeah. So so maybe maybe you lose to Penn State, you come home, and then you take a league loss, and then he gets fired. I mean, it's Auburn. Literally any situation applies. It's Auburn. It's Auburn. War damn. Uh, Stephen Godfrey, thank you for coming on the show this week. Where can the people find you? At 38Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter, bannersociety.com. Nobody bother Richard Johnson for the next couple of days. I'm not even asking him where you can find him. But if you want to tell people, you can, Richard. And Schefter's reporting... That Doug Marone may come back to the Jaguars. Jeez. Fam. This is ridiculous. Fam. I might not see y'all Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Moon Crew. We'd love to have you in Discord, which you can join via mooncrew.com slash Patreon. And if you like this podcast and you want to review it on the Apple Podcast Store or wherever, but I think most people do it on Apple, that's awesome. We appreciate that and we appreciate you. Thanks so much and have a great one.